Maine has blueberry taxes. Alabama has mosquito taxes. Each state and county have their own tax quirks. But when state and local governments want to raise revenues, there are four key taxes they turn to. And depending on where you live, the differences in these taxes between states can be significant. What trends are we currently seeing in state and local taxes? And how stable are these revenue sources for the places we call home? Hello, and welcome to The Deduction, a Tax Foundation podcast. My name is Jesse Solis, Communications Manager here at the Tax Foundation. And this week, we are joined by our Senior Policy Analyst, Catherine Lawhead. Catherine, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Yeah, how's your how's your week been going? You know, it's been a busy one. Just got back from Nebraska yesterday, talking to some legislators there. So, uh, you know, back in D.C. today and excited to be on the podcast. It's very exciting. Yeah. All right. So, Catherine, uh, you're part of our state tax policy team here at the Tax Foundation. And every few years, uh, you and your team, you put out a report breaking down the sources of state and local tax collections um, that state and localities collected that year. Can you kind of tell us what that report is and why it matters? Yeah, absolutely. So what we did for this report is we looked at the most recent census data from fiscal year 2020, and we took a look at how states generate their state and local tax revenue. Then we saw there are some different trends among a lot of the states that we tried to highlight in terms of regional differences and how different places generate their revenue. And so those are some of the things that we break down in this report. This is something that we like to report on every few years, just because it's important for all of us to have a general understanding of how our tax dollars are collected. So what they're being used for and the impacts of the various tax types. One of the reasons it's important is just because we all have a personal interest in knowing where our money is being spent. And it can be so easy to just get so busy living our lives that we don't actually know where our tax money is going. So this is a report that tries to illuminate that, especially at the state and local level. No, Catherine, that's interesting. And um, I think especially it's not exclusive to here, us in America, but, you know, I file taxes in the spring or you do. We're filing a federal return and a state return. Um, so I do think it's interesting that, you know, we are kind of always having to deal with both facets of taxation there, you know, and seeing where our money exactly goes. Exactly. So, you know, we're paying taxes at both the federal and the state and local level. And sometimes by the time we get to filing our state return, we're just glad to be almost done with our taxes. And it's kind of an afterthought. The state income tax is just one of many sources of taxation at the state and local level. Um, Of course, if you're a homeowner, you also pay property taxes, and we all pay sales taxes when we buy things. Those are a little bit more transparent as well. But it's just, we might not always be aware of how much we're paying or, you know, where that revenue is going in terms of the breakdown in state versus local revenue. And so this is what this paper tries to illuminate. Yeah. And let's get into some of those a little bit here. Uh, There are probably a million and a half taxes out there, roughly speaking. But what are what are the main ones that state and states and cities use to raise revenue? Well, there are four major sources of revenue that fund general state and local government services. And those are the individual income tax, the corporate income tax, the sales tax and the property tax. The individual income tax, of course, is something anyone who is employed has had to think about every year because we have to proactively file our income taxes. And there are 41 states where you also have to file 
a state income tax return on your wage and salary income. So that's a major one. And there's also the corporate income tax. So corporations, if they are paying a federal corporate income tax, they're also apportioning the income in all the states in which they do business. And they're having to figure out how much should be apportioned to each state and then paying based on that state's corporate income tax base and paying the correct rate there. So it's a very complex tax and one that is a big deal to corporations. All right. So Catherine, so far we've talked about individual income taxes. We've talked about corporate income taxes. But what about sales taxes? There's also, of course, the sales tax, which we often think about as mostly a retail sales tax that we pay at the counter. But there are some you know, businesses that have to worry about this as well, as it often applies to business-to-business purchases. And then finally, the property tax. That's something you primarily think about if you're a homeowner, um, you know, paying based on the value of your land and improvements is technically what that's levied on. So your home, your property. But this is also paid by a lot of businesses as well and by farmers, anyone who owns um, real property in a state. And so this is one of the taxes that's levied in all 50 states and is now mostly a source of local tax revenue. But this one's especially interesting because if you look at the total sum of all the state and local tax collections we pay every year, almost one third of it is going to property taxes. So that's the largest source of revenue at the state and local level. Okay. So you walked us through, like I said, individual, gone through corporate, we've gone through sales, we've gone through property. That's not all of them, right? There's got to be more. Is there more? And not to leave this one out, excise taxes are also a major source of revenue for states. And these are product-specific taxes or activity-specific taxes. So these are typically levied on things like gas to fund our roads and bridges or alcoholic beverages, oftentimes to fund you know specific programs related to alcohol and tobacco, abuse prevention, things like that. But sometimes states use them for broader needs as well. And so these are all, you know, a handful of the major taxes that we're looking at here. And it can really add up when you think about all the different ways our money is sent to state and local governments. I know I'm not alone in this, but I spend a lot of free time just on Zillow looking at houses that I'll never be able to afford. I wish there was a property tax estimator on there too, um, (laughs) when we're scrolling through dream homes. But uh, no, that's so, and you mentioned in there too, like, Correct me if I'm wrong, but like the income uh, taxes in 41 different states, um, some of the other taxes, they are and aren't in other places. But are there any consistencies you see between those taxes in all 50 states? Are there any where it's like this one is always the highest tax compared to this one? Or is every state just totally different in what they do here? You know, you raise a really good point there because it really depends on the state. There are a lot of regional trends. So in about half the states, especially in the Southwest and in the New England area, the property tax is the largest source of tax revenue there. So that's especially true in states like New Hampshire and New Jersey and Vermont and Texas. But in 15 states, the sales tax is the biggest source of revenue. So that tends to be more prevalent in the the Southwest, especially in states like Arizona and New Mexico. And then I haven't yet talked about gross receipts taxes, but that's something your report gets a lot into. Those are often, if a state levies a gross receipts tax, 
it's often the biggest or one of the largest sources of revenue in those states. So states like Washington and Nevada have this gross receipts tax where it's oftentimes an alternative to the corporate income tax or sometimes levied in addition to it. But instead of being based on net profits, so revenue minus expenses, it's based on generally, you know, your total top line number of revenue. This can be a big source of revenue, um, but also a harmful source of revenue in the states that raise it. And then finally, individual income taxes are the largest source of revenue in only nine states. And so that's true, especially in states like California and some of the Mideastern states like New York and Maryland. So it seems like kind of bigger states or more populous states rely more on income taxes and um, just states that have high property taxes around each other. If the neighbor has a high property tax, that state does too. Is that kind of like a somewhat trend that we're seeing here? That is definitely somewhat of a trend where a lot of the states that spend a lot of revenue and have large budgets like California and New York uh, that pour a lot of money into really robust government services, they're relying more heavily on the income tax because with really graduated rate taxes, they're able to up that rate on higher income individuals and generate a larger share of money from people who are, um, you know, locating in those states and have relatively higher incomes. Whereas states where maybe that's not quite as prevalent, uh, you're not mm. going to be able to generate quite as much revenue from that tax. So you're going to rely on a variety of sources. That makes a lot of sense. Now, let's kind of get into neighboring states and interstate competition here. Um, I know we both went to college in Indiana. I grew up just north of Indiana and Michigan. Um, And I know like when we were, um, my parents, when they were building a house growing up, very little thought went into whether it should be on the Michigan side or Indiana side of the border. It was just the plot of land was available. They built there. Um, Is that kind of the case for most people? Or do you think taxes, especially for you know, not only people and businesses that could move between the two, but for if there is, you know, multiple states in play here for a business setup or for a person to live in, do taxes play a really big role in the competitions that states have with one another uh, when they're thinking about what to set these tax rates at? That's a really good question. And it can really depend quite a bit on what states you're looking at. So when you look at Michigan and Indiana, they both happen to have really low, flat individual income tax rates. So that's definitely an advantage that makes both states pretty competitive on that front. And there's been a lot of economic research on this front where we see that property taxes and sales taxes have relatively less of an impact on people's decision-making than do income taxes. So when it comes to influencing the decision-making of people and businesses, It's that corporate income tax and the individual income tax that really matter a lot. And that's the tax that a lot of states are really trying to be more competitive on in recent years, especially the last couple of years. We've seen a wave of states work to bring their income taxes down, 17 in 2021 and 13 so far this year. We've seen less movement on sales and property taxes because it's viewed generally a bit more as a given. And it's going to have less of an impact on that next dollar of income or on whether you decide to invest a business in this state. 
more of those decisions are made based on income taxes. So that's where states should really look to try to become most competitive. Catherine, that's very, very insightful. And I know interstate competition is something we talk about often on this podcast. Uh, So we'll leave it there for now, but we'll be right back. And we're back. This section we call Myths and Misconceptions. We look into some common uh, myths and misconceptions that are out there about these various taxes. Uh, so, Catherine, number one, uh, let's talk about corporate income taxes here for a minute. Um, so you mentioned they are a large revenue raiser at the state level. Um, are they the largest? And would you say that they have the biggest impact on competition when corporate tax hikes at the state level are kind of being discussed from politicians? I feel like it's usually a pretty common enemy, if you will, for politicians to go after when they're talking about tax hikes right away, but kind of break down what the corporate income tax actually means at the state level for us. Yeah, well, corporate income taxes are definitely a major source of revenue at the federal level. They bring in about 9% of federal tax revenue every year. And while corporations are paying a lot of money in state and sometimes even local corporate income taxes as a whole, it's actually a relatively small share of the state and local revenue toolkit. And there's a few reasons for that. Quickly, could you get into those for us? So at the state level, the corporate income tax generates just under 5% of total state tax revenue and just over 3% of combined state and local tax revenue. You know, while one corporation may have a large burden across all the states that they have to pay corporate income taxes to, States can't rely on this revenue source to bring in a ton of revenue overall. So you're saying this is unreliable revenue. Could you talk about that for us? One is that it's a really unstable revenue source. So corporate profits really fluctuate quite a bit from one year to the next due to fluctuations in business cycles. You know, some corporations are just built in a way where they make larger profits in some years and smaller profits or maybe even go into the red in other years. So that can cause a cyclical effect. And then also, especially during recessions, a lot of corporations will end up having years of low or no profitability. And so, you know, they're also not bringing in much revenue in that respect. And another reason for the relatively low reliance on corporate income taxes is just because over 95% of all U.S. businesses are structured as pass-throughs. So they're not even paying the corporate income tax at all. They're paying individual income taxes. And so those burdens get passed through. Uh, The owners of those businesses are paying individual income taxes through their own individual income tax forms. And so that's how they're paying their taxes. So corporate revenues fluctuate with business cycles. And there's just not a lot of corporations because the vast majority of businesses are passed through businesses, meaning they pay income taxes through the individual tax code. I gotcha. Got it. Another thing to keep in mind is just that even for C corporations that do pay a lot of corporate income taxes, the corporate income tax is just one of several state and local taxes they're paying. They're also paying property taxes, especially for those corporations that own a you know a lot of capital and have a large amount of land or very large buildings. Those corporations are paying a lot of property taxes and sometimes even sales taxes. They're paying taxes on the things that they have to buy, 
it's something we want to try to move away from. But oftentimes the sales tax is one of the taxes that a lot of businesses have to pay as well. That's a good point there on the property taxes too, because factories, I'm just, they take up a lot of space. Even, you know, farms take up a lot of space too, and they are constantly buying things uh, to help with their production, help with their output. No, that's, that's very, very um, insightful. And I think it kind of leads into our second misconception it too. Some people say it doesn't really matter where we're collecting money from at the state and local level, just as long as it's being collected. So some might say, eh, even if the corporate tax at the state level is only bringing in 5%, it doesn't matter. We can just raise it higher because it really doesn't matter where the money is coming from as long as we get it. Would you say that is correct or that's a bad way to look at state and local tax policy? You know, you're right that a lot of people do think of it that way where they're just concerned about whether the money's mm-hmm. being collected or how much is being collected. But really, how that revenue is being collected matters quite a bit, just as much, if not more so, than how much is being collected. So there's advantages and disadvantage to each of the major taxes, and they can all have an impact on people and businesses' decision-making and then on the broader economic climate. At the state level, we have interstate competition. It's more prevalent at the state level and even at the local level than at the federal level. You know, to some extent, companies are going to make decisions about whether they want to locate in the U.S. or abroad. And that is a factor. But some businesses are going to locate in the U.S. no matter what. But it's a matter of which state they want to locate in. And so that's when state and local taxes can have a major impact. Things like corporate and individual income taxes are going to have more of an impact than some of the other less economically harmful and distortive revenue sources. So, Catherine, let's get into kind of some, as we wrap up here, kind of some key takeaways from the day. And I think, you know, one of my last questions for you, um, when states and what, like, really, what, like, what's your advice here for policymakers at the state and local level? When they're thinking about taxes, should they be thinking about it as a way to raise revenues to do what they want? Or should they be focusing more on using those four main taxes, property, income, corporate sales, uh, to really focus their state on growth? Or does it have to be a mix of both? Does it have to be we should be looking at taxes for growth, but also just to pay for schools and bridges and stuff like that? What do you think the focus needs to be here at the state level? Well, tax policy is all about trade-offs. No matter how much revenue you bring in to fund government services, there are going to be more economically harmful and less economically harmful ways to do that. And so policymakers should be looking for ways to try to mitigate the economic harms and bring in the revenue that is needed, but doing it in a way that also allows businesses to compete and to grow in the state and support a robust economy and create jobs. You know, trying to find ways to bring in the amount of revenue that is desired while also supporting a growing economy. As policymakers are looking at their tax code, a lot of state tax codes are kind of the product of 100 plus years of different policies and different legislatures coming in and making tweaks here and there. And while it might be a bit of a a lofty goal to wish that state tax codes were designed or looked like they were designed on purpose. Uh, that's something that policymakers should work toward. Where oftentimes, if you really open up a state's tax code, there's a lot of different credits and mismatched incentives that the government is taking money with one hand, giving it back with another. And it doesn't always make a whole lot of sense 
especially given the interaction effects of all these different types of taxes. And so really looking at ways to try to streamline the system, make things as transparent and simple and neutral as possible, and looking at ways to make sure that the taxes that are being levied are generating a stable source of revenue. Because unlike the federal government, states do have to balance their budgets every year. And so looking at ways to rely more on those stable, simple and transparent taxes could really benefit states in the long run. Mm-hmm. And last question. Um, I know every state's on a different legislative calendar. Um, are any states um, that you've been tracking, are they going to make any changes to like these four main tax areas this year? Or is tax reform may be done at the state level this year and it's going to be a next year kind of thing we're looking at? Well, most state legislative sessions run from about January to either the spring or early summer. And so most of the changes that were going to be made in 2022 have already been made, but there are a couple states that have recently gone into special session or that are considering going into special session. We're keeping an eye on Missouri. You know, there's a lot of other states that are going into interim hearings or meetings so that they can make plans and so they can really hit the ground running in January and work on mostly passing those bills. All right. So Missouri, some other places, they are doing special sessions. But of course, we have elections coming up, too. And taxes are often voted on, you know, at the ballot box, too. Are any proposals out there, any ballot measures out there that we're tracking as well? That is definitely something that we do track every election cycle. Some of the ones we're looking at this year are in Massachusetts, where they're looking at potentially adopting a graduated rate income tax with potentially a very high top marginal rate, something we're keeping an eye on. Whereas some of the other states are looking to go in the opposite direction, like Colorado, which already has a relatively low flat individual income tax rate and corporate rate is looking at reducing that rate even further. So a couple of different states looking at very different types of tax policy here in November. And as of this week, uh, Catherine's colleague on the state team, Tim Vermeer, has a paper out looking at that Massachusetts ballot proposal. Uh, feel free to check it out, taxfoundation.org. Uh, Catherine, it's a pleasure, as always, to talk with you. Uh, what else are you working on in the, in the weeks and months ahead? Well, you know, it's mostly a busy travel season. We're visiting a lot of state capitals, talking to legislators and helping generate and refine ideas for next session. And so that's what a lot of my fall will be spent doing, you know, traveling and presenting to various groups. That's the main focus for now. That's fun. I like travel. Um, And if people want to keep up with your travels um, online, where can they find you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at at K.E. Lawhead. And you can also find my work on the Tax Foundation blog. That's great. Well, Catherine, thanks again for joining us. We'll be sure to have you back on soon. Great to be here. And before we go, I wanted to introduce you guys real quick to our producer, Dan Carvajal, who's got an exciting announcement for us. Dan, what's going on? Hey, Jesse. uh, We've announced this a couple of times now on past few episodes, but we're going to be doing a mailbag episode coming up for our 50th episode of The Duction. And we need questions from you, the listeners, that we can get our experts to answer. Can you believe it's been 50 episodes already, Dan? I I can. I've looked at a lot of <laughs> editing timelines. But yeah, we have a question portal up on taxfoundation.org slash mailbag, where we'd love everyone to kind of drop in and give us their questions about whatever they want with tax policy. And we will find some of our colleagues here at the Tax Foundation to answer those questions. So again, that is taxfoundation.org slash mailbag. 
That's great. Thanks so much, Dan. And we'll see you guys next time.